All right, hey guys, good evening. How are you guys doing? It's great. Okay, awesome. Well, yeah, it's so good to be here. Man, we uh, thank you guys for being here tonight. Uh, thank you, Pastor Dan, for uh, allowing me to share just a little bit of my heart, um, my story as well, our story, our family's story. But man, it's so good to see you guys. There's a lot of people here tonight. Uh, you know, for Michaela and I, it's so cool. I think we already, this is like the first day I've of work, but uh, we already feel connected to this church. And I think that's just something that's so cool about our faith is that God can, he can knit hearts together, but we might not have met each other yet. Have you guys seen that happen before? Or maybe we, you know, barely just met you guys, and, but he's already knitting hearts together. So cool. I love that. Um, I also wanted to thank everybody that helped us uh, move into our house as well. So uh, Miriam, Sydney, uh, Kobe, Micah, thank you guys so much for being there. I don't think Kobe's here tonight, but thank you guys for doing that. Um, Kobe almost broke his back moving my couch into the house, so God bless him. Wish he was here. <laughs> thank you, Kobe. But So tonight, yeah, we're just going to be doing a Bible study, getting into the Word. Um, I'm going to share just, yeah, a little bit of our heart too, but man, I just want to say that it's such an honor to be here, and we're just so grateful to call this church uh, our new home. So excited. Thank you, guys. Well, I'm going to pray uh, one more time here. Father, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for all these people gathered, and Lord, it's about you tonight. It's... uh, not about me. It's not about us. We come here just to worship you, Lord. We come here to study your word and to glorify you. Uh, You're the name that's above all names. And Father, I just give you um, all the glory, all the praise, Lord. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would just help me to get out of the way and uh, we could just listen to your word tonight. And Lord, I also just want to pray for a Anybody tonight that might have a heavy burden or uh, just a troubled spirit, Lord, I ask that you would heal them, that you would touch them. I know that sometimes uh, when we walk through the doors of a church, we're just carrying heavy stuff. And tonight, Lord, I ask that you would just uh, touch the heart that's hurting. And uh, bless this study, Lord, as we um, dive in. And we love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, well, yeah, my name is Jonah Ho. Uh, if I haven't met you guys, I'd love to meet you. I've met a lot of you here, but um, love to meet you. This is my beautiful wife, Michaela, over there. She's with that baby. Say hi, babe. Do a backflip. Um, we've got two kids, Posey and Israel. That's Israel over there. Posey is a year and a half old, and Israel is seven months old. And uh, yeah, we didn't necessarily plan to have them that close together. They're 13 months apart, but that's just, it was during COVID. So we were just <laughs> bored and started making babies. <laughs> it really was. A, we got married in 2020. Um, that was just a weird year to get married. It felt like the apocalypse or something. So we didn't know <laughs> what to do. Um, but our first year of marriage, we spent in uh, Cascade, just north of here, uh, north of Boise, up Highway 55. Maybe some of you guys have gone uh, fishing up there, hunting. Yeah, beautiful spot. We loved it. And after our first year of marriage, we moved to Telluride, Colorado, um, which is also a beautiful area. That's where we've been for the last uh, two years. And the connection there was that 
Michaela had some family out there. Her uh, brother still lives there and his wife. And her dad was pastoring a small church there in, uh, in Telluride. So I married the preacher's daughter. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we got plugged in there. We spent the last two years volunteering at that church. So we weren't on staff, we were just volunteering and we were doing everything from, uh, worship and children's ministry to, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter outreaches and, uh, young adults, Bible studies. It was awesome. And so our philosophy, some of our just heart for ministry has been shaped by those last two years volunteering at that church. Um, yeah, we were just part of an incredible community, lots of young families that just loved the Lord and we were inspired. So yeah, for my wife and I, you know, I think we've always felt, uh, a call to ministry individually. So, um, you know, for me, I invested two years of my life attending a Bible college in, um, it's called Calvary Chapel Bible College in Murrieta, California. And I was just feeling drawn to ministry. I, uh, wanted to get equipped, wanted to take a season to study God's word in depth. Uh, for Michaela, you know, growing up, again, her dad was a pastor in uh, Kansas City. And I don't know if we're allowed to talk about the Super Bowl at church or anything like that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's probably just God's favor on my wife. And that's how I take it. Anyways, <laughs> just kidding. No, but yeah, so growing up, uh, her dad was a pastor at that time too, so she was doing a lot of ministry from a really young age. Um, you know, and I think in a lot of ways that gave her a unique insight into the behind the curtains of ministry and just what it takes. But uh, over the past three years, it just feels like the Lord has been setting a solid foundation for our marriage. We've had time to uh, just start a family and grow together. Uh, you know, however... This last fall, it really felt like we received a call to ministry together, like as a family unit, not just individually anymore. Um, and where we were living, Telluride, you know, it's a tricky area. It's kind of like McCall. It's a resort town, so um, housing is expensive. It's hard to find. And this last fall in October, we actually lost our housing, <laughs> which was a bummer. And uh, around that same time, though, God worked it out because we were feeling just this massive heart tug to pray about going into full-time ministry and really just serving one body of believers uh, full-time, which we hadn't really felt before. And there's a ton of cool details on uh, just how that was confirmed, but I just want to touch on that for a second, that heart tug that we feel. Um, I just think that is so important, and it's just fresh for us, so we're really excited about it. But um, one of the Bible stories that came to mind as we were praying about entering full-time ministry, it's actually found in Luke chapter 5. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Luke chapter 5. I just want to look at the first couple of verses. Um, then I'll get into a little bit of my story, but Luke chapter 5. All right. Okay, so I'm just going to read verses uh, 1 through 4, but is that up there? Awesome. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Man, I love this story. 
Can't wait to get into it. But this is towards the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Uh, They're at the Lake of Gennesaret, we just read. It's just the Sea of Galilee. That's what we know it as, the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is going to be calling some of the very first disciples here. And we know from the other Gospels, though, that this isn't Jesus and Peter's uh, first time meeting. You guys remember that uh, Jesus healed Peter's uh, mother-in-law? Remember that? That was nice of him. So, you know, they, I would still say they're not super, super close yet, though. They're acquaintances. I'm sure Peter was grateful that he did that. But bigger crowds are beginning to gather at this point. It says the crowd is pressing around him. Um, they want to hear his words. They want to hear the word of God. So he asked Peter, and it's Simon at this point. We know that he would later change his name to Peter. I'm just referencing him as Peter right now. But he asked Peter to do something interesting. He asked him to put out a little from the land. And so Peter does. Jesus hops into the boat, and he does the, uh, it's like the floating pulpit kind of method. And he's preaching to all these folks, you know, and he's using the water like a microphone. It's so smart, just amplifying his voice. It's carrying across the water to these people, way more effective. Preaches his sermon, and afterward he tells Peter to do something really, really interesting. He says, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So previously he said, just put out a little from the land. Now he's saying, let's go into the deep, let down your nets. You know, I wonder if Peter here is like, okay, the Bible boy is telling me how to fish now. (laughs) That's how I feel. Again, yeah, so he asked him to go to the deep waters. But, you know, I think that's kind of a picture just of Peter and Jesus's relationship relationship so far. It's, It's been shallow and Jesus wants to take it to the next step. He wants to go deeper with Peter. And I think this is a lot like the relationships I've had with some of my best guy friends. You know, maybe we met at a, it started here. You know, it started at school or sports or something like that. But um, the relationship went to a deeper place after we had an experience together, something to bond over And Jesus is doing that here with Peter. You know, it reminds me of one of my best friends. He's still one of my best friends. His name is Andrew. Uh, We're still friends today. Blake knows him. Blake, you know Andrew. (laughs) But um, we met in Bible college, and we had initially met in, I think, the lunch line or something like that. I said, you know, we shook hands. It was great. And if I saw him in the hallway or whatever, I would say hi to him. But uh, we were just acquaintances, you know. But one night it all sort of changed. We had these uh, mandatory chapels. Greg attend. you guys, Natalie and Greg, they attended the same Bible college. You remember the mandatory chapels? They have, the, yeah, okay, they have those. Mandatory chapels, and they start at 7 p.m. on Friday night, so we would have guest speakers come, and it was awesome. These guest speakers were, like, incredible, but for the first one, uh, I remember, you know, we had the mandatory chapel, and just so you guys know the layout, it's like, here's the chapel, and right beside it is this beautiful lake. And they stock the lake with bass in the bluegill, so there's fish in here. And so I'd been eyeing the lake for a couple of days because um, I like to fish, so I wanted to go fishing. But I didn't want to be the only guy that was fishing because we're supposed to be like Bible nerds now or whatever, and we can't fish. So I was you know, feeling convicted about that. But one night, it's a chapel night. It starts at 7. It's 6.45, so we're all lining up because you have to sign in to the chapel thing, right? You get, that's how they mark your attendance or whatever. But we're standing in line, and Andrew's behind me, and he taps me on the shoulder. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? He looks around, and he's like, hey, you want to go fishing? <laughs> and I'm like, 
I thought he meant over the weekend or something, like at a later date. So I'm like, yeah, man, we could, you know, figure it out this weekend or whatever. And he, he looks at me, he goes, I'm not talking about this weekend. I'm talking about right now. <laughs> and it's 7 p.m., so it's, it's dusk, the sun is setting, and so I know the fishing's good. I'm like, well, what would Jesus do, you know? <laughs> so we did. We went fishing. It was awesome, man. It was so great. We were just bonding, fishing, talking, just learning a lot about each other. And, um, yeah, I, yeah, we went fishing. It was awesome. Totally skipped the chapel, which is bad. But, um, you know, that was just a, a silly example there. But the truth is, you know, once you have an experience with somebody, your relationship with them goes deeper. So with Peter, Jesus is saying, again, let's take it to the next level. I want to have an experience with you. And I can really empathize with Peter on this point. Again, this is just one of the Bible stories that came up because um, I think this is something that the Lord has done with me and my family just recently. I mean, to put it simply, he's called us to go deeper with him, to take a big step of faith, to launch out into the deep, to do the deep things, to have a real experience with him. You know, I think as a Christian, we all feel that at some point, in our faith, where God is calling us to go deeper. Um, But if you guys are anything like me, I'm hesitant because the shallows is a little safer. (laughs) Putting out a little bit from the land, it's like, I can see the bottom here. I can't see the bottom out there. (laughs) It's kind of scary. But I'm so encouraged by Peter's response. He sets the example for us, I believe. It's verse 5. So if we can pull up uh, Luke chapter 5, 5. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Man, that's a powerful answer right there. You know, I want this to be my response whenever the Lord directs me to do something. Um, Nevertheless, you know, despite what I think, despite my personal opinion, despite my long list of excuses or my own agenda, um, if the Lord tells me to do it, I need to do it. You know, if you tell me, I'm thinking about, if you tell me to put my staff in the water and uh, the sea's going to part, I don't know how, but I'll do it. You ask me to sleep in the lion's den, okay? Ask me to kill that giant with the rock. <laughs> you guys get where I go with this. Man, God asks people to do crazy stuff all the time, but they're so blessed when they do it. Um, at your word, I will let down the net. You know, I think one of the greatest things that we can do is simply obey God when he tells us to do something. That's it. Even if it sounds weird or lame or crazy, you know, God asks you to do it. Amen. Well, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the story in uh, Luke chapter five, but the ending is really amazing. We're going to get a chance to look at it here in a se- in a second. They end up catching a bunch of fish. Peter has this incredible revelation about Jesus. Uh, and after this encounter is actually when Peter starts following Jesus full time. Uh, we'll have yeah, a chance to look at the end of the story in just a minute. But uh, yeah, that story in Luke chapter 5, I feel like that's where we are as a family. Uh, We're by no means qualified enough or uh, smart enough to be in ministry or anything like that, but we just feel called, you know. We have felt that same calling that I think Jesus gave to Peter. You know, it started out, hey, Pete, can I use your boat? You mind if I use the boat? Okay, let's take it up a notch. (laughs) That's where we are. But just like Peter, you know, we've doubted, we've had hesitations, uh, totally, all of that. But, man, in the end, we love the Lord so much. We're so grateful for what he's done for us. So now 
our, this is just a response. We're going, Lord, we'll do it, whatever you want us to do. That's our heart. Um, that's really the point we've arrived at as a family. We're just doing our best to answer God's call. Amen? All right. Well, uh, yeah, again, we'll get into those last verses in just a little bit, but a quick uh, tidbit about me. I, um, yeah, I told you guys I grew up in Garden Valley. You know, I'm really grateful there's a Calvary Chapel up there. It's pastored by a gentleman named Ernest Updike, who uh, has proven to be an incredible mentor to me. I know he's a great friend to Pastor Dan. And uh, I lived in Garden Valley until I was 12 years old, and then my family moved to Romania to temporarily pastor a Calvary Chapel church plant in Romania. So I spent uh, two years there. My dad was the pastor, and we spent our time building uh, houses for gypsy families. We were homeschooling with other missionary families, and I personally spent a lot of my time uh, skateboarding with local kids. So that was that was my ministry. But yeah, you know, I'm really grateful that my parents did uproot us from Garden Valley to go to Romania, um, it was so hard to leave our family and our uh, friends behind, just all that familiarity, you know. But uh, the example that they set for me and my siblings, I, I think the lesson that we learned was be willing to go anywhere and do anything for God. You know, I don't know if they meant to teach us that lesson, but that's what happened. <laughs> so I think it was awesome. It's a theme just that has stuck with me throughout my whole life. So uh, so grateful for that. But after Romania, we came back to the States. We moved to Washington State uh, to a place called Walla Walla. You guys heard of Walla Walla? Place so nice they named it twice. Yeah, remember that one? But yeah, it's Eastern Washington. Um, I went to high school there, and that's where... Uh, I'd really just started getting off track with the Lord. Um, I fell away from my walk with him. You know, Romania was this time where my relationship was solid with the Lord because I was walking with him daily, serving him. But uh, each year of high school in Washington State just proved to be me straying further and further away from God until, you know, by the time I was a senior, I'm 18, 19 years old at this point. I think if you would have asked me if I thought God was real, I would have said, oh, yeah, no question but I wasn't walking with him. I turned my back on him for sure, 100%. And that really manifested itself in a lot of ways, but it turned into a lifestyle that was really just shaped by partying. Uh, And, you know, this is over the course of several years, but I definitely got off track with the Lord in a a really big way. Uh, I, after high school, I went to college. I was playing football in college and the partying lifestyle that had become a bad habit for me just continued uh, to grow because it, people party in college, it turns out. And um, yeah, it just increased until I was in a really bad spot, just struggling with substance abuse. And there's a lot of details I'm skimping over here right now, but God met me just at an incredibly low place in a really big way. And it was like, I just cried out to him, boom. And that's all it took. God entered into my life, welcomed me back with open arms. And it was... uh, yeah, that was it. It was that simple. My life was turned around. Like, And I will, yeah, tell you that story. I would love to tell you guys that whole story some other time. But yeah, it was just incredible. It was it. That was it. I just gave him an inch and he was like, boom, that's all I needed. We're back. So after that, I just, I was on fire for the Lord again. My life 180. And uh, that's when I went to that Bible college that I mentioned a little bit earlier. And 
yeah, during those two years, I just got completely submerged in the Bible, uh, taking classes every day, spending time in the Word every day. You know, I mentioned I made some lifelong friends there that I still regularly hang out with and I see. And after Bible college, I worked at a church in California for about a year, and I had an okay experience doing that, but just wasn't sure that ministry was something that I wanted to do forever. Uh, And after that little bit of experience in ministry, I moved to uh, Colorado Springs for a job, and that's where Michaela and I met. That's where I met Blake, too. You're not on the same level as Michaela, but that's where I met you, too. (laughs) Yeah, but Michaela, you know, I just mentioned a little bit about her earlier, but... uh, Man, you guys got to know that she's my best friend, man. You know, I think people joke sometimes. They're like, oh, so-and-so is my better half. And they say it in like a joking way, but it's not a joke for me. I promise you she's the better half. Uh, But yeah, she's just an incredible mother to our two children. I believe she has, again, the gift of discernment. She's so hardworking. But anyways, different sermon. But when we met, Michaela was working for a uh, Christian nonprofit in Colorado Springs called The Navigators and she was helping with their donation department. And we actually met at a church in Colorado Springs. They had a young adults group there. And um, just as a side note, you guys, church is a great place to meet somebody that you want to spend the rest of your life with. Um, Yeah, I just swear by that. You know, there's other places that you can meet single people, and they're not as good. You should go to church to meet your spouse. So we met at church. Yeah, but that's a little background. That's kind of full circle me and my family. Um, And next, I just wanted to take a few minutes to share some uh, vision just for the young adults ministry. But let me just preface it by saying that I am uh, by no means an expert on young adults ministry. I don't have a doctorate in this field or anything like that. But um, however, I I do think I have been fortunate enough to be a part of a healthy, thriving young young adults group uh, at least twice before I have been And I've also done a lot of research over the last six months about this age group, like Pastor Dan was saying, 16 to 18, 18 to 30-year-olds. And there's so many crazy statistics about this age group, but I I just want to share one tonight. That's it. So don't want to bore you guys with numbers, but just one statistic is that 70% of 18 to 30-year-olds who went to church regularly in high school said they quit attending by age 23. So I'll say that one more time. 70% of 18 to 30-year-olds who went to church regularly in high school said they quit attending by age uh, 23. And that's a heartbreaking number to me. It really hits home with me, too, because that's what happened with me. 19 years old, boom, no more church. I'm gone. Um, And I say that statistic, I don't don't feel like I need to spend a ton of time convincing everybody that there's a need. But I say it because there's a need. There's a major need to reach that group. And uh, like I said, you know, I've studied effective, non-effective techniques performed by churches, parachurches, and other related ministries about this age group. They're just trying to reach them. Uh, Some people have dubbed that age group the black sheep of church attendance because they're they're missing, they're gone. And again, here's my point. I'm not an expert. Uh, I believe the vision can really be wrapped up in saying that I think it's really important that we make God the center of our lives. That's it, man. Yeah, if you don't hear anything else tonight, uh, just walk away with that. You, me, young adults, old adults, uh, little kids, human beings. Jesus Christ should be the center of our lives. And that's just the vision that God has put on my heart. You know, that's it. Um, 
that's what he was he has been doing with me over the last several years and you know you're probably sitting next to somebody right now who has done that with their life and I think they could testify that that's the best thing we can do just make God the center of everything make him what we're all about and here's the reality though I think sometimes maybe a lot of the time uh he ain't the center of our lives uh I know I've been there I'll be the first one to raise my hand say I'm guilty i put myself first for sure. Maybe if you're like me, you know, God has been a part of your life, but not, you you know, my whole life. And I've been guilty of saying, Lord, it's my life. If I have time for you or I need your help, I'll pencil you in. (laughs) Uh, I'm just cringing as I'm saying that, you know, it's not how it's supposed to be. But, you know, as I read the Bible, as you look at the teachings of Jesus, uh, it just seems like that's not what Jesus wants. He doesn't want to piece of our life or a little bit here or there he wants the whole thing (laughs) but we're about to read here at the end of this story in verse 11 of chapter 5 and um, it says they forsook all and followed him you know I believe I'm somebody who's trying to do that (laughs) Uh, but that's what I encourage everybody to do is just go all in for Jesus because you know sometimes we're guilty of treating God kind of like a hobby, like he's on the same level as fishing, hunting, golf. Um, I just named the important ones there, but, you know, if we have time, we'll squeeze them in. <laughs> but, yeah, as I was praying about what to share tonight, I just feel compelled to tell you guys that that's my heartbeat. Uh, I'm somebody who's messed up. I'm somebody who has put myself first. But, you know, I'm also somebody who has had their world just completely rocked by God. So now my conviction is, Lord, not my life, it's your life. Uh, do whatever you want with it. You're the center. I'm reminded of that verse in um, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's awesome. You know, Paul's a good example of somebody who said, uh, I'm done being the boss. <laughs> it's all about you, Jesus. But Peter is too. Okay, so let's get back to Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bible still open in this, this spot, we're just going to check it out. I just want to review how this story finishes, and then we'll be all done for the night, you guys. But okay, remember, Peter had said, okay, that's normally not how we do it, uh, but you're the Bible boy, so we normally only catch fish at night, but we're going to do it your way. So now we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 5, verse 6. And when they had done this, They caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So after obeying the Lord, the disciples catch all these fish, so many that their nets were breaking. And as I was researching this specific event, a lot of scholars believe that between the two boats, it was 60,000 pounds worth of fish. So a lot of fish. And it was worth anywhere between 12 to 34 years worth of wages. So just an incredible amount of fish. But really quick, look down at verse 8. Verse 8. They let down the nets, they catch all these fish, and then 
I just think Peter's response is so important here. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter's response is incredible. And there's, you know, different reasons why people think Peter responded the way that he did. Some people think it was he was scared or some people think he was overwhelmed and astonished. Um, he was just shocked that they could, you know, Jesus could do his own profession better than him. I combination of all that stuff maybe, but um, yeah, I want to ask Peter one day, but this is what I think happened, and I think I'm right. That's why I'm telling you guys, but you know, in order to follow Jesus, um, I have found that it's really important to recognize that uh, we're messed up. (laughs) We're messed up, and I think Peter recognizes right away. That's why he said, depart from me. I'm sinful. Um, do you guys remember Isaiah's vision of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5? Um, I'll read it, or we'll throw it up on the screen here. Uh, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I think Peter realized that he had seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's what I think, what, that's what I think happened. That's why he reacted that way, and... I mean, you can't, we can't help but do the same thing when we see how awesome he is and how lame we are. (laughs) If we do the same thing, we fall at our knees. And we read later on in the Gospels that the people who would not come to Jesus, the people that wouldn't follow him, the people that rejected him, uh, the ones who didn't need him, they were the Pharisees. And I believe that part of the reason they couldn't follow him, they couldn't admit or they couldn't see that they were messed up. They could not see it. They were religious, they were spiritual, they, uh, we even read that they tithed and they fasted, right? So these guys are all doing this stuff, but yeah, they would eventually plot to kill him. Here's my point, though. Peter recognizes that he's sinful in the presence of the Lord. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, this is what John says about it. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And the next verse we're all really familiar with, but it's verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, I can sympathize with Peter. All those years ago, I was in a really, really dark place. I knew God would help me, but before he could, I needed to admit that I was messed up and I needed some help. (laughs) I just had to say, God, I messed up. I'm sorry, and I need your help. You know, the theological term for that, we call it repentance. It's where you turn away from your sin, you start running the other way. But boom, at that moment, it was done. God entered into my life, and may we be people who realize that we're messed up. Amen. (laughs) All right, well, let's skip down to verse 10 here. Verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Jesus tells Peter to not be afraid, but he also gives him a glimpse into what his future ministry is going to be. He's going to be not a fish catcher anymore. He's going to be a man catcher, but we know that's true. You guys remember in uh, Acts chapter 2, it's Peter's sermon, Acts 2.41. After Peter's sermon, it says that 3,000 souls were added to the church. So he did go on to catch men. And lastly, this is verse 11. Let's go to verse 11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Forsook all and followed him. You know, sometimes I don't 
know if we realize the total weight of what it took to follow Jesus or how big of a deal that was. But in those days, to be able to follow a rabbi was a really big deal. Um, In fact, to follow a rabbi, you were expected to be the most scholarly, the best of the best, the smartest. uh, It's like the equivalent of a 4.0 Harvard graduate, Ivy League graduate, you know, in our time, okay? So for Jesus to invite these four fishermen to follow him, very strange. That was very, very strange. And Okay, we're just going to get a little Jewish here really quick, but we're going to talk about the educational system. Okay, Jewish educational system in a nutshell. There were three levels of education Okay, at this time. Beit Sefir, Beit Talmud, Beit Midrash. Okay, let me explain. I'm going to say it one more time. Beit Sefir, Beit Talmud, Beit Midrash. Okay, ages six to ten, all right? You go to Beit Sefir, that means house of the book, okay? And you would study and memorize the first five books of the Bible. We call them the Torah, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Torah just means the teaching or the way. So most kids by the age of 10, they would have the Torah memorized. I can't even memorize my eyes phone number, but you know, they would have that memorized. Then after the age of 10, this is when the first separation in education would occur. So for most kids who aren't smart enough to go on to the next level, they start their trade, okay? Carpentry or fishing. So this is where Peter and the boys are, obviously. They didn't make it to level two, okay? So all the, then, okay, this is the second level, ages 10 through 14, all the real smart people, the ones that were showing promise, they get to attend Beit Talmud, and that means house of learning, okay? And they study the entire Old Testament, so that's Genesis to uh, Malachi for all the Bible scholars in the house. Along with memorizing the Old Testament, they would also learn the art of question and answer, dialogue, logic, and arguing with people, um, Answering a question with a question, in doing so, they would demonstrate their knowledge of the scriptures. But Jesus did that. You guys remember when the Pharisees, it's um, in Matthew chapter 12, but they were accusing him of casting out demons by the power of Satan. Remember that? And Jesus says, it's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 26. The Pharisees are like, yeah, oh, we got it right here. Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. The Pharisees had said before this, he's casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And then in verse 27, he says, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. So you learn this style, okay, of how to use logic to uh, debate. Now, for most students, their education would stop there after level two, okay? So age 14, 10 to 14, now you would just go on to your family trade. So for sure the disciples didn't make it past this one. But for all of the extremely gifted students, okay, this is like the 1% of the 1%, you get to go on to this third level of education, which is called Beit Midrash, and that means house of study. This is the final level. And these are the students that would be selected to sit under a rabbi, these ones not the previous two levels, okay? So these guys are the, are the ones that would get to do that. But even that selection process was really, really tough because a rabbi would grill you with questions. He wants to know your knowledge of the scriptures. He goes, okay, you're the best of the best. What about this? Do, do, do. And so he's grilling these people. But then he also wants to know if he can count on you to imitate him in every way because you're going to be rese- representing that rabbi. It's even said that a lot of the students... If the rabbi had a limp, 
they walked with the limp behind him. That's how closely they wanted to imitate the rabbi. I always wonder if, like, the rabbi was, like, 500 pounds if they had to. Well, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. So for Jesus to extend the invitation to say, follow me, he's saying, I think you guys can imitate me in every way. We don't realize how big of a deal that is. These guys didn't even have a chance at being, they were like, no, we're fishermen forever. So all of a sudden, a rabbi is extending his hand to an uneducated, somebody who dropped out when they were likely 10 to 14 years old. You know, if he did accept you, that was a miracle, and it was just a massive honor that wasn't offered to everybody. It was really, really, really special. Um, yeah, by most accounts, these guys, they were definitely not the 1%. Smartest, most gifted, most talented students, for sure. In fact, by most accounts, uh, I don't know how to say it. They just weren't good enough. <laughs> uh, but one of my favorite things about Jesus is he loves to use people that aren't good enough. Um, you guys ever felt like that? <laughs> man, I have. Um, I felt, you know, man, I'm not good enough for God to use. There's more spiritual people. There's more religious people. There are more devoted, uh, pious people than me. So God's just going to use them. You know, Jesus knows all of that. He knows exactly how much education we have, how unqualified we are. Uh, yet he wants to use us. It reminds me of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. I think we've got it up here. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Isn't that awesome? So, yeah, if you can relate with being a not good enough or welcome to the club, man. <laughs> you need to be weak. You need to be dependent on the Lord. Uh, God uses those kinds of people to show how awesome he is. Um, I want to read you guys something really quick. This is from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Have you guys heard of this? We read it to our kids. It's awesome. It's for kids, but I read it all the time because, yeah, that's how smart I am. But, okay, I'm going to read you guys this little section from it, talking about the story that we're uh, in Luke chapter 5 here. So speaking of Jesus, it says, He was going to get God's people back, but first he needed to find some helpers and friends. He had a lot to do. He would need some people to help him. Who would make good helpers, do you think? Clever ones, rich ones, strong, important ones? Uh, Some people might think so, but I'm sure by now you don't need me to tell you they'd be wrong. Because the people God uses don't have to know a lot of things or have a lot of things. They just have to need him a lot. (laughs) Oh, man, I love that story. But, yeah, that's the truth, you guys. Jesus loves to use people that aren't good enough. He uses the weird ones, the outcasts, the poor ones, uh, not good enough ones. But I'm so glad he does, man, because I'm a weird one. You guys look weird too, man. (laughs) I'm just kidding, you don't. You know, later in Acts chapter 4, there's this incredible story of Peter and John. They're leading the early church. And uh, in the previous chapter, in chapter 3, they end up healing a man who was lame from birth. Do you guys know the story I'm talking about where they're walking up to the temple, the guy's asking for alms? So, uh, that yeah, lame guy's asking for alms. He would ask every single day. Uh, Peter and John, they're walking by, and, you know, Peter famously says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
rise up and walk. So the guy's totally healed. Everyone's freaking out. It's like, a, you know, it's a crowd. It's awesome. And ev- everyone is praising the Lord, but the rulers, elders, and scribes are not too happy with Peter and John. So they arrest him. They throw him in jail for the night. And the next day they gather in Jerusalem. They're having this hearing and they ask Peter, by whose name and whose authority are you doing these things? And we read that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He receives this boldness. And it, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, you guys are judging us because we did a good deed yesterday. You're, that's totally wrong. We healed that lame guy, and he started breakdancing, and it was awesome. And we did it by the power of Jesus of Nazareth, the one whom you guys crucified. So he has this powerful response to their questions about Um, who's authority, and he's speaking with authority. But this is what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Um, Another translation says that they were uh, uneducated common men. I like that. Just average Joes. (laughs) Um, and also, this isn't a put down on educated people. I, please hear me on that. Um, if you have a degree or you're educated, man, praise the Lord. We need people like that. And I, you worked hard. You should be proud, totally. I'm hoping to go back to school and get my degrees. So it's not a put down on um, educated people. Education is such a blessing. I'm so th- thankful for it. So it, it's not that. Uh, my point was God can use anybody. And I'm so glad he does, man. Amen. All right, well, hey, as we wrap up, uh, I just want to encourage you guys to dive in. You know, Jesus wants all of us to be like him. Like, and the crazier thing is that he thinks we can <laughs> be like him. Uh, you know, like Peter and the other disciples in the boat that day, we just, you got to put God at the center of your life. Um, and Jesus isn't going to, force you to follow him though he doesn't put us in a chokehold until we become his disciples he doesn't do that um but i think he is always ready to go deeper with us you know you say the word he's ready he's not going to force you though he's a gentleman um you guys remember that's what happened with the rich young ruler jesus you know he extends this invitation to follow him the rich young ruler is like yeah i want to follow you but i'm important i have this estate i'm wealthy so i can't jesus goes okay Okay, I get it, no problem. Carry on. Um, Bible says that the rich young ruler walked away sad after that. You know, for people who want to take the next step with him, for people who want to dive deep, for people who want to make him the center of their life, he's ready. He's totally ready. And I just wanted to say this as an encouragement as we close to, you don't need to get cleaned up before you go to him. He does the cleaning I can't tell you guys how many people I've talked to recently, just young adults that say the gist of it is I have to get cleaned up before I can meet him. Not, it is not is so far away from the truth. That's a lie from the enemy. He does the cleaning. He's responsible for it. He's the one that cleans us up. Um, yeah, that's it, you guys. So as we close tonight, man, I just want to thank you guys again. Thank you so much for coming out. Thank you for your support, your help. Um, and if we haven't met, if we, you know, me and Michaela haven't met you guys yet. We would love to meet you and shake your hand and uh, eat a meal with you or something like that. And forgive us, we're trying to remember everybody's names right now. But um, yeah, man, let's make God the center of our lives. Amen.
All right, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you again for this night, Lord. Thank you for these awesome, awesome people. Thank you for their hospitality and just their warmth and how welcomed we have been at this church, Father. I just ask for, man, just an anointing on uh, this place, on the town of Mountain Home, Lord. We want to see your work be done here, and I can't believe you're letting us be a part of it, but thank you, God. Help us to be diligent, diligent uh, representatives of you. Help us to be full of love and kindness and truth, and help us to help other people, Lord. So again, I just ask uh, for your Holy Spirit to fill us, Father, as we head out these doors, and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.